0: You're listening to Propaganda, the Feminism and Pop Culture Podcast. Today, we're talking about cults. So, I'm holding in my hands something that's very, very normal a box of tea, Celestial Seasonings Sleepy Time Tea, to be specific. I'll just open this up. It smells like chamomile. It's very nice. I like it. But behind this mundane Sleepy Time tea, I recently learned, is a weird history. It's a story of how cults can impact our society down to the most everyday objects even long after they've dissolved or fallen out of power. To tell this story is Megan Giller. Megan is a feminist and a food writer who wrote an article about the surprising history of Sleepy Time Tea that was published on the website Van Winkles as well as Raw Story. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, So everyone in my office was talking about your article about Celestial Seasonings Sleepy Time Tea. Um, is just so surprising.
1: Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm glad you guys found it as interesting as I did.
0: Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us about the person who founded Celestial Seasonings and how they came up with the formula for sleepy time tea and the role that colts play in that?
1: Yeah. So um, Mo Siegel um, and a couple partners founded Celestial Seasonings Tea. And at the time, they're, like all tea was pretty much made with the tea plant there was no such thing as herbal tea but um these this was guys in the 1970s were, right this was in the 70s yeah and they were kind of living this alternative lifestyle out in Colorado and they got the idea to go pick herbs out in the mountains of Colorado um and so they they picked herbs and started making tea with them um and I think one was called uh Moe's 36 herb tea because the founder's name was Mo Siegel Um, and they just started having a lot of success with this. Um, and I guess the idea for the company itself came from this inspiration of a book they called the Arantia book that they were really into and reading at the time in the seventies, um, that some might see as kind of a, a cult religious book. Um, and they even, I mean, it kind of influenced everything about their business, like how they chose to structure the business, how they ran the business, um, They even apparently would kind of have um, maybe not fights, but discussions with the the, um, other employees and use the Urantia book as kind of a way to, you know, to seal the deal on their argument and be like, no, the Urantia book says this. So this is the right way to do this. So I had never
0: heard of the Urantia book before. What is this book?
1: Yeah. So the Urantia book is um, a not very well-known religious text Um, written in the 1800s. Um, And supposedly it's a a direct voice book, meaning that it was um, kind of handed down to someone from a higher power. And in this case, they believe it was um, extraterrestrial beings. So, um, and it kind of outlines um, this alternative universe where, um, so Earth is called Urantia in the Urantia book. That's where it gets its name. So it kind of outlines what this whole alternative universe looks like. And then also I think the the last part really talks about Jesus's life, like what's not covered in the new Testament all the other days in his, you know, 36 years or however many years he was alive.
0: So this is a really hefty, big religious text that is written by aliens.
1: It is. It is. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's huge. It's, it's really long and the descriptions of the universes are very complicated. They're, All sorts of interesting beings like Seraphim. And it's really that was one thing I almost really couldn't get a handle on was the the actual text because it's so huge. Well, you said
0: in your article that they really take the um, supernatural authorship of this book very seriously and, uh, and fighting it all the way down to copyright law.
1: Oh yeah, they do. So, um, and that's a really interesting story. So someone, um, I think it was in the nineties, she was actually a follower of the Urantia book. She was, um, a a true believer and she, um, distributed some copies of it to, um, to her friends on floppy disk, I think, which like, remember floppy disks? It was a long time ago. (laughs) Right. A
0: long time ago.
1: Um, Yeah, totally. But, um, so she just, she distributed the book and, um, the kind of organization behind the Urantia book called the, the Foundation or the Fellowship, they really didn't like that. And they're a pretty litigious bunch. And so they actually sued her for copyright infringement. And she came back and said, well, you know, it's authored by a higher power, which actually isn't protected under copyright law. And the court ruled with her. And so now it's in the public domain. If
0: you have a, a religious text that is written by God or by an alien, that's copyright free.
1: Apparently, yes. I didn't realize that until I started getting into this world. And yeah, it's an interesting, uh, I don't know, loophole. Yeah. <laughs> so so how
0: did this alien text influence Celestial Seasonings?
1: I, so Mo Siegel, who founded Celestial Seasonings, and um, some of the other founders would really use the book to guide all of their business decisions, um, and he'll he'll even say that he kind of used it. Um. He he it gave him the idea to found Celestial Seasonings that he really wanted to found a company that um, followed these certain ideals and uh, as outlined by the Urantia Book. And and when he talks about it, he'll talk about like you know generosity and um, kind of being true to nature and that sort of thing. And that's all really lovely. But there's some other stuff in the Urantia Book that I think also. I don't know if it influenced Celestial Seasonings the way it was run, but it definitely, you know, since it was spoken about in Celestial Seasonings, is part of the company's history, too. And some of that is not so pretty. Um, and really has to do with eugenics and some really racist ideas.
0: Well, let's talk about that. So what's the eugenics part of this book?
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean, in the Urantia book, they basically believe that um, pain... And all of those sorts of things are caused by, um, gosh, I'm trying to get this right because it's so complicated, are caused by basically uh, lower races that need to be eliminated. And once those, those races have been eliminated, um, then we, human beings can kind of reach their true potential. And this isn't something that just happens on Earth. This is actually a process that has to happen on every planet. And traditionally, what would happen, according to the Orientia book, is that um, Adam and Eve, who are actually aliens themselves, um, and there are many thousands of not really clones, I guess, but different versions of Adam and Eve in different universes. They would come to Earth or whatever you know planet they're going to, and um, by mating with the higher beings on that that planet, um, would kind of create this like perfect race. But that didn't really happen on Earth. Somehow it got messed up. <laughs> Adam and Eve on Earth kind of screwed that plan up. And so the way to um, get to that higher race or, or perfect race is then through eugenics and by eliminating, you know, um, I mean, they say very specifically what races should be eliminated and like, you know, anyone with any sort of mental handicap and um, all of that sort of stuff. So it's, it's a uh, pretty alarming stuff in there. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah so it's one thing
0: to believe in a book written by aliens but it's it's I think an entirely different thing to believe in a book written by aliens that is that is a pro eugenics message.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I feel the same way and it's in, there's so many interesting parts to the Urantia book um, and you just named two of them and it, you know, but I agree with you. Like if people want to believe in aliens and believe in that text, fine. But then once it starts to get to eugenics and really actively taking a part in sterilizing people and that sort of thing, it um, starts to take on a new level.
0: So I know that this book is supposedly written by aliens, but do you have any idea who is actually behind it or how uh, the ideas of uh, you, Of eugenics and eliminating so called inferior races wound up as a central part of this book that apparently lots of people are following?
1: Yeah. So, one of the main people who kind of helped promote the Orientia book and was responsible for a lot of it when it came out was named William Sadler. I'm not sure I'm saying his last name right. It might be Sadler. So, um, he um, was a psychologist. He was actually a pretty well known psychologist um, in the early 1900s. And um, he had a lot of these ideas himself. And he actually wrote um, some books called, let's see, I'm looking them up here, Longheads and Roundheads, or What's the Matter with Germany? Racial Decadence and Examination of the Causes of Racial Degeneration in the United States and The Truth About Heredity. Wow.
0: So the people who uh, were fundamental in founding Celestial Seasonings were followers of this Arantia book um, and big fans of it. Um, do you think that these ideas around eugenics or racism influenced the, the company in some substantial ways and where does Celestial Seasoning stand these days? Is the Arantia books still part of their like corporate
1: structure? <laughs> well, so Mo Siegel retired, um, in the nineties. So he is not actively involved with that. He is like on the board of directors of Whole Foods. And one of the other main founders is also on the board of directors and involved with a lot of companies that you would recognize. So, um, let's see, how did, how did it influence what they are doing now? You know, you'd think, like, just because that information is in a text from the, you know, late 1800s, early early 1920s, that doesn't necessarily mean that most eagle would believe it now, but he actually does say that he does believe in all of the uh, calls for eugenics and, and that kind of thing. So I don't know if they've actively done anything, um, you know, within celestial seasonings related to that. I, I don't think I could speak to that. But um, it definitely is part of the history of the company. So
0: now I'm holding a box of Celestial Seasonings and on the back there's a quote from Confucius and the company recently rebranded to look a little less funky, a little more uh, mainstream, I think. When When you drink Celestial Seasonings these days, if you do,
1: do you think about this history? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I actually stopped drinking it and you know, if it was just the aliens like we were talking about earlier, I would be fine drinking Sleepy Time tea. It was actually one of my favorite teas. Um, but now with knowing this history and, I don't know, some stuff that maybe is still going on, it I, I don't want to be involved with it. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned those quotes because I guess Mo Siegel, the way he got the idea for those quotes was actually the Orientia book. That's what inspired him to put those inspirational quotes on the back of the tea boxes even if it is from Confucius some of the you know the other ones might not be.
0: was Megan Giller. She writes interesting food stories for lots of different media outlets. You can follow her on Twitter at Megan Giller.